On this week's brand new Compete Everyday podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Daya Grant about resilience, mindfulness, and what neuroscience actually says about how our brain works in relation to both. What's up, Competitor Nation? Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and I am so excited that you are back with me at this brand new Compete Everyday podcast episode. If this is your first episode, welcome to the show. You are in for quite a treat. And if you are returning, thanks for making time to hang out with me. More importantly, you're going to be grateful that you made time to hang out with Dr. Daya Grant, today's guest. Uh, She is well-known in the field of neuroscience around mindfulness, around resilience, and we talk more science. We talk about things that we can do to build that mindfulness, that ability to stay present, to block out distractions, and more importantly, how we can continue to flex that resilience muscle, that muscle that so many people needed over the last 12 to 14 months and are now realizing how much more time and energy they need to invest in building and developing their ability to be adaptable to change. And so today, Dr. Daya Grant, I get into that on this week's episode. And so you are going to get a lot out of it. You're going to get some practical takeaways that you can use and apply in your own competition to be your best self, to achieve your goals, and to create the future you want. Before we dive into the show, I just want to say thanks to the thousands of you who have already signed up for the Morning Competitor Text Club. I love not only getting to start the day with you, but more importantly, I get love having the conversations you have when you respond, when you ask questions, ways that we can communicate, encourage each other, and most of all, be equipped to show up and compete that day. So if you're someone that hasn't quite joined in the fun or you're wondering what I'm talking about, All you have to do is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113 and you will be able to start the day every morning getting a short text from me. No robots, no automation. It is me sending you a message on how you can compete that day. Maybe it's a question to challenge the way you're thinking so that you become more intentional and focused on how you start the day. Or maybe it's just a word of encouragement that whatever you're going through, I want you to show up and compete today. So if you're someone who wants to start the day stronger, wants to be more intentional about how you enter the day, how you attack the day, and most of all, how you improve your chances to win the day, text the word podcast to 972-945-9113 and you'll automatically be added to our morning text club. You know the drill, competitors. If you want to get in touch with the show, drop me a note to podcast at competeveryday.com. And the best way to support the show, as always, is to head on over to CompeteEveryDay.com, grab a copy of my book, pick up one of our awesome new shirts that just dropped, and support the brand by using the code PODCAST to get 15% off any order at CompeteEveryDay.com. Now, let's get into this brand new episode with my new friend, Dr. Daya Grant. Dr. Daya Grant, how are you today? I am so well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to today's conversation with you as well, especially uh, as we dive into neuroscience and talking about the crazy things that our brains are and and how fascinating they are and work and and can be trained uh, in ways and developed. But before we go that route, I'm always fascinated what kind of was the spark that started you down this path of, of studying more mindfulness and resilience and especially the neuroscience of it. 
Well, I was a, I was an athlete growing up. I was a dancer, um, really seriously into that. And I, toward the end of high school, when you have to decide um, in the dance world, like, are you going to go yeah. that path and, and go the professional route? Or are you going to go to college? And um, it was one of those epiphany moments. And I said, I'm going to go to college. <laughs> and so I went to school and um, someone the summer before I started college at Pomona College, she gave me a, a neuroscience textbook. I don't know why. I can't remember why. But she handed me this textbook and I nerded out. And I just thought, this is so fascinating. And you know, this was 2001, so we weren't really talking a lot about neuroscience yet. It was still really in its infancy. Um, so I went to school, studied that, and as I was developing my uh, senior project, I knew I wanted to combine it with sports. So um, that was how I learned about the whole field of sports psychology. And I thought, this is fascinating. I love sport. Um, I understand that the mind is so critical in anything we do, but especially in athletics. And um, so let me study this more and finished my, my undergrad and found out that one of the top sports psych masters was just down the street at Cal State Fullerton, Ken Revisa. And so I did my master's there, really dove in. And um, while I was there, I, I, I think one of the ways in which we connected the deepest, Ken and I was his interest in mindfulness and mine as well. And I had come from it um, a little bit differently. I was just born into this family that meditated. <laughs> so my parents taught us really early on about meditation. So for me, it was very experiential. Um, Ken was introduced to mindfulness and meditation in the seventies and, and got into yoga and started realizing like my baseball players that I work with could really benefit from this. So he combined the two a lot in his work. So that's really where I saw just the magic that is that that combo between sport and mindfulness um, and just continued down that path and really brought in neuroscience in my PhD program. And now I I combine it all in the work I do with athletes. Absolutely. So tell us uh, briefly, just for our listeners, they've heard uh, on the show before we've talked mindfulness. Uh, how do you define mindfulness for, for anyone listening? I define it as paying attention to the present moment without judgment. So it's really being here with your feet on the ground and, and then being where your feet are. Um, and this open awareness to life and experiences as they are. Which is a, a full-time challenge for most of us. Uh, for not only the struggles of, of dealing with the past, uh, which judgment very much plays in and, and that inner dialogue, but anxieties and worries about the futures and unknowns as well, which, you know, in sports that takes you out of the moment and the ability to make a play and to maximize your performance. And in life, it really does the same way. What sports initially did you start working with? And, and now is there a specific sport or audience that you tend to work with more than others? So I started because Ken was really embedded in the baseball world. Uh, I started with baseball. So the first team I worked with it was a pretty elite high school baseball team in Southern California. Um, but then from there, I worked with just anyone. So because of my dance background, I definitely made it a point to take all of Ken's dance dancers. <laughs> he didn't really know that area. 
Um, and then since then, and now I've worked with everyone from triathlon to rowing, um, continued baseball, gymnastics, ice skating, just really a basketball, uh, track and field, so like everything. It seems it. like every new athlete I start working with is coming from a, a new different sport, CrossFit. That's about saying it's, yeah. So, which makes the conversations, there's similarities in all, but obviously it's some team sports, some individual sports and, and being able to, I would say, apply and teach from your perspective. Uh, that's a fun challenge to have those new sports come in because as you learn the sport and how the athlete responds, one of the things I'm always curious about with mindfulness, and I, and I say that as a kid who grew up in small East Texas town, 13,000 people, uh, mindfulness, at least the stereotypical side, is very woo-woo. Uh, it's very, you know, yoga and meditation, like, you know, small town Texas, we talk, you know, prayer and quiet time, religious setting, but meditation, uh, that's different. Mindfulness, it, it's kind of weird, but your focus is with neuroscience, which completely paints a different picture, especially for someone that has that concept that eh, it's a little woo-woo, I don't quite get this. But when you talk about it from a scientific standpoint, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute, what do you mean there's science actually involved in this? What have you started to see and, or what are the things that I would say fuel your curiosity around learning more of the neuroscience and how our brain works with relation to being in that present moment without judgment. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I think uh, it's key what you said about the woo-woo side of things. I make it a point to not, I don't, I don't even use the word meditation when I start working with athletes. Um, I pretty much avoid the use of the term mindfulness as well. Um, we start with taking advantage of how to take a deep breath. And that's it. And for me, that's very physiological. Like this mm -hmm. is what's happening when you take a deep breath. And this is um, the reason that you wanna get into the present moment is so that you know what to pay attention to and what to, uh, what to filter out. And that's all just very neuro, yep. <laughs> it's yeah. very basic. Um, so, so yeah, I think, but the more you dive into it, the more we see how the science of the brain really supports this multi-thousand-year-old practice of meditation. And um, I think most recently, by recently, I mean the last 20 years, we've started to, to learn more about what's called the default mode network. So when we're at rest, when we're just hanging out in the backyard, relaxing, looking at a tree, um, our brain is active. Like it is certainly not at rest. And so we now know that there's a whole network that's involved with this, this at rest um, place. And there's so much activity happening there, but with med the, and it's great. Like we wanna be able to think about the past and plan for the future. I mean, you mentioned that that's a power that our brain has, but we don't always wanna do that. And we spend way too much time there. So what's super cool about this research is we now know that mindfulness which is a, a certain type of meditation and meditation more broadly affects this default mode network. So when we are ruminating over something, our default mode is going crazy and that's when it's not beneficial. So when we can incorporate the practice of meditation, meditation and mindfulness, we can dampen the um, activity of the default mode network 
which then locks us into what's happening right now as it's happening. So that you can then make the best decisions with what's happening right now and what's relevant. Um, so it's, it's very, and you can look at the way the brain works with any aspect of mental health or mental skills. So resilience, we're starting to learn well, what's happening in the brain. Like how come some people can handle a stressful situation and then get out there and compete and show up, whereas others don't know how to filter that out and focus. Um, there's something there. There's something about how the brain functions and how you are capable of holding a whole lot of things, but continuing to move forward. And that's what resilience is. And it, it all happens at the level of our brain and it's super new research, uh, but we're getting into it and it's so fascinating. It just lights me up. <laughs> I know. And, and it, I'm always fascinated by it. And especially the more conversations I have, the more I learn and, and the more I learn, the more I wish I'd known 10, 20 years ago, right? Uh, and how you can apply some of these things. I, I want to go back. There's a couple of things you said there. And one of the things I want to go back is when you talk about breath and starting with taking a deep breath. And my one of my first thoughts is when you when somebody's flustered and upset, you're like, just take a deep breath. Just take like, that's kind of our default conversation point of, and usually it's trying to get people to like chill out is usually why you're saying it. But it sounds like from your standpoint, there's real science behind taking that deep breath and controlling it helps us recenter in the present moment. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very grounding in that. So we have these little spikes of cortisol that are happening throughout the day, whether we, even when we get a phone call, when our phone buzzes and there's a text message, when the email comes in, like when someone asks a question, there's, there are these little spikes in cortisol that happen. And over time that starts to build up and we need to have ways to decrease those cortisol spikes. Um, and it doesn't have to be something like taking a long walk in nature. It can be if you have that time, but it can also be as simple as taking a deep breath. When you're stepping up to the plate in a baseball game, like you are, you're thinking about the pitch count, you're thinking about all these things. How do you center yourself? You take that deep breath, you lower, decrease that cortisol, you lower your heart rate, and you then are able to focus on what's important right now in that moment. So yes, it's very physiological and it's amazing how many of us were never really taught how to take a good quality deep breath. Yeah. And, and I would say along those same lines is these little devices are nonstop these days. Text message, social media alerts, email alerts. Like a lot of people that haven't set boundaries are just getting ding, 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 ding all day long from the, and that cortisol spikes throughout. Let me ask you, how do you try to encourage your clients to either set time or or control that so that we know we're gonna get quarter, we know we're gonna get those spikes throughout the day, but it's almost relentless with our devices unless we learn how to control that relationship better, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's all about the relationship we have with that. Um, I'm a big proponent of starting your day off without that thing. So having that not be the first thing you grab in the morning. Do you have and a different alarm or do you use your phone as an alarm? So I, I actually just wake up naturally now I'm when so I, because I wake up at the same time every day. So it's just natural. Um, but if on rare occasion I do need my alarm, I do use my phone, but then that's it. I just turn off the alarm and, and I, to go about my morning. And I usually spend the first hour without looking at my phone. And, um, and when you look at, at the most successful people in whatever field they are in, 
in business or in sport, they usually start their day intentionally and focused on, on themselves and what they need to do to set themselves up. So if you are going to be um, right next to and attached to your phone for the whole day, just set aside the first, even if it's just the first eight minutes of your day, if that's all you can do, that's something so you can start centered. And then there are all sorts of cool things. Like I have an app called, uh, I forget what it's called, but I, I grow trees. <laughs> like if I, I set the timer for maybe 20 minutes and it says, don't look at the phone and a, a tree will grow. And if you grow a certain number of trees, the company actually plants trees somewhere in the world. Very cool. So I feel like I'm having this very direct effect. Um, but yeah, those, imp those boundaries are really important. And then I would also say, especially with my work with athletes, it's figuring out your pre-performance routine. And that's not just in sport, it's in anything. If you're sitting down to work on um, a, an article you're writing or to record a podcast. It's figuring out what you need to do before that in the five, 10 minutes before that to really hone your focus. And that usually does not involve your phone. It's putting that aside and then figuring out you know, what, what you need to do to focus. Well, and I love how you talked about that pre-performance in life. And I would say over the last year, uh, year and a half at this point, maybe, uh, you know, a lot of people's pre-performance for work was completely thrown out the window because they no longer had a commute. They're spending more time on doing things like Zoom. And then when the work day is over, they're just walking into the, the next room or they're staying in the same room. And so the pre-game and post-game ritual disappeared for a lot of people. And they didn't understand what was going on internally around that, where people that I would say for me personally, like I got to the point where I just afternoon, I'd take a walk around the neighborhood with my dog just to have that commute. So we talked a little bit, having that pregame, what do you recommend from a post-game end of day reflection type standpoint, recentering so that if we do have a bad day, or even if we have a good day, we don't let too much of it carry over into the next morning? Yes. The ability to let go is so important for productivity. Um, and just for getting the most out of life and really, again, living in that moment. So what do you do at the end of the day to transition out of whatever you're doing? Um, it's everyone has to figure it out for themselves. I, I'm a big writer, so I love just writing down stream of consciousness stuff. So I'll grab, I'll grab a journal and typically I do this um, I usually go straight from my work day into mom mode, but then once my son's asleep, I will spend, you know, maybe 20 minutes and I'll just grab my journal and I'll write. And it's um, writing nonstop, not thinking about it, again, not judging myself for it. And I just feel like that brain dump really then allows me to let go of the day of anything that happened and then focus in on, on you know, spending time with my husband and kind of setting things up for the next day. Um, I do my workouts in the morning, but that's another great thing. I mean, we know that moving your body shifts your energy. So getting out for that walk or just doing like a 15 minute hard cardio session in your backyard or, um, or at home um, movement is really, really great. It can be hard. It's, it's challenging for me to sit down for a meditation at the end of the day, truthfully, like there's just a lot happening. And I, I find that writing it down is, is just better for me. Um, but if you can take some time and just close your eyes and sit with what is for five minutes and transition out of it that way, that's good. 
Um, Ken Revisa, who I mentioned, my mentor, his, he used to, if you go to any, many dugouts in uh, professional baseball clubs, you'll see like a little toilet in the dugout. Yep. And he was all about flushing it, right? So um, if there's something that's just weighing on you, you flush it. He also, and I do this a lot, like if there's something that's a stressor, you hold it in your hands, like a clenched fist and you just squeeze the heck out of it and then you let it go and you you move on, you commit to letting that go. So are there are little practices that you can put into place um, to really let go and transition into the next phase. I love that. I love that. One of the things I want to chat with you as, as we kind of start to wrap up today is this thought around resilience. And I know we talked a little off air on it and have mentioned it a few times in here. I've been fascinated and, and I've racked my brain on what book I've just read where it talked about people tend to be a little more resilient when they can get out around trees and nature some. Um, it's not obviously requirement, but they've shown to be a little more resilient in studies. Your research is around that ability to adapt to change, for lack of a better phrase. And the last year has been a wake-up call for a lot of people that never really flexed or tried to build that resilience muscle. And they've been thrown into what a wild year it's been. But going forward, you have very you have people listening to the show that are like, I want to be more prepared when something unpredictable happens because it's going to. What are things that you tend to encourage people to slowly build that resilience muscle, kind of that starting point for those that they thought, man, I, I never handled change well. I, you know, if, if everything's outside of my control, I, I tend to get really frustrated and shut down. Where do you encourage people to start at least trying to build that muscle? Yeah, it's first recognizing that it is something that you can build. And that's really encouraging. Resilience isn't something that we're born with. It's something that we develop. Um, so acknowledging that and recognizing that is, is very empowering. The second is as you're moving through things, really feel it. Um, if I'm working with an athlete and they're going through some stuff, or if they had a really, really terrible game or a bad performance, I do not jump in and, and try to talk them out of it and say, you know, it's going to be okay next time. And I don't do any of that. I simply say, feel it this sucks, feel it. The more you can really connect to what, whatever negative emotions or challenging circumstances are presenting themselves to you, the stronger your muscle will build. And the reason is if you can hold all the, the emotions and the stuff that comes up with moving through something difficult, you're expanding your capacity to hold all of it, including the good, and still move forward. So that increases your confidence. So it's, okay, we just, we've, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We've made it through 16 months or so of this pandemic. Um, we're still here. We made it. That should, that reflection should trigger some sort of confidence boost in you. It may not have been pretty. It was hard. There were a lot of tears. It was painful, but somehow you held it all and you were able to move forward. So just knowing that you did that, the next time you're going to be able to move, move through it a little bit more, but you really have to connect to like the stuff that's coming up. Um, and then there's something really cool that happens. The more you connect to that, the more you realize that like, okay, I'm here. The stuff that I'm going through is separate from me. And there's a little bit of space. And as soon as there's a little bit of space, you can start to think clearly. You can start to adapt to change better. 
um, it's, it's that space which is critical to recognize so that you just keep moving forward. You take another step and um, you increase your capacity to hold it all. I love it. I love it. As, as someone who in his, I would say mid twenties got shingles because I was suppressing everything like parents, divorce, starting a business, breaking up with a girl I was dating. And the doctor like laughed and was like, I've only seen this in like brides or a few days before their wedding and you a late twenties, mid twenties kid guy. And so, yeah. So like the idea that you talked about of like feeling it and being okay, feeling it, and then working through it and going through that space versus what a lot of our natural tendency is, is just suppress it. Don't deal with it. Don't talk about it. it. It's going to get to that boiling phase. And what that does is prevent us from expanding our endurance which prevents us from being more resilient of just kind of working through it. So I, I loved and I really appreciate just from my own personal perspective, how you shared and positioned that. Uh, Dr. Grant, where can people learn more about your work? And perhaps if they are an athlete or they're the parent of an athlete, get connected with you and your team. Yeah, I, you can find me at diagrant.com. Um, just shoot me a message that way. I'm also on Instagram. That is the, really the only social media platform I'm on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so yeah, those two ways. I love authentic connection. I thrive off of it. So reach out and we'll have a conversation. Super. Thank you so incredibly much for coming on the show this week. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To listen to past episodes, be sure to check out podcast.competeeveryday.com. And to get in touch with the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. Everybody wants to win, but not everybody's willing to compete for that victory. Since you're one who will, show up today and win. We're cheering for you.